Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to episode 256 of the Weekly Exchange. This week we talk about Civilization VI, Birth of Civilization, Solaris, Astro Exodus, and we try to tackle that whole what is a 4X game question. So stay tuned. Hey, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nate. Glad to be here. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yourself? I'm doing well, too. Do you want to introduce our guest? I, I suppose. Hey, Oliver. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. Hello. I am the guest. I'm here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we will try not to treat you like The Shining or something like that. So. Oh, yes, <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> yes, uh, a lot so, of you have been clamoring for a guest, and so we were like, Oliver, you got to come, man. So he joined us. That's right. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I say we jump right into it. And this week, the first item for discussion is Civilization Six. Now, it's not that there's a third expansion, though we're still hoping that they do that because I think that that would be just make Civ Six that much better. It's already been improved significantly. The constant updates are making changes that are definitely not just highly anticipated, but highly regarded by the community, as far as I can tell. And it's already on the PC, on the Mac, on the Switch. And I mean, what's left? Where else can Civ 6 go? Well, it's on the iPad, so that's not it. Oh, that's right, consoles. On November 22nd, it's going to hit both the PS4 and the Xbox. So I think at this point... Civ 6 has total infiltration. Now, I don't know if it's... I, I probably should check on my phone to see if it has it on the Android OS, but otherwise, or maybe Linux, but otherwise it's everywhere. So that's really it. They're definitely putting in the work, and I'm hoping that there's more because this this new latest thing that they added, Red Death, the you know Battle Royale mode, it's cool. It's an interesting idea. I still want to see what the modders do with it. Yeah, that's Civ 6 news. And then the next, I mean, you guys want to ask anything or add anything or you're good to go? Just want to say that absolutely every game next year is going to have its own Battle Royale mode. So we should all yeah. just get ready for that. Yeah, well, if Civ Six has Battle Royale, then yeah, I think nothing is sacred. I was going to say that I'm going to add a Battle Royale mode to the Discord. So um, <laughs> you guys stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, man. I can't even, nice. what's that going to be like? I don't know, but. I know I'm going to win, so that's all I'm saying. Well, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the next news item is something called Birth of Civilization. Now, this game is an ode to older Civilization games. So, first of all, it's on Steam. So, if you want to check it out, we're going to have a link. 
Second of all, there's a dev diary out talking about the culture list and the progression system in the game. It's not particularly long, but it's definitely looking very interesting. And there is a historical timeline where they show where different cultures and or religions basically... Mm, I don't know. I'm looking at a few. I'll have to zoom in to see you know, how accurate it is, but it looks looks relatively accurate, at least culturally-wise. I don't know religion-wise where it falls in on that. I'll have to examine it closely. But yes, having said that, this is a, a Civ game of sorts or a game inspired by the older Civ games, and it's looking interesting, and I've seen some stuff from it that's making me go... Okay, yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. So we got some good stuff coming in the near future. And I know at least one of you guys has seen this, so I want to hear from at least one of you what you think of this. Well, to be fair, I don't know much about the game. I know that it's attempting to be a historical 4X, which well, I think a few of us here believe that there's not enough of those, so I'm all about that. But, you know, the, the, the general aesthetic looks decent, so I'm willing to give it a shot because it looks like they're putting some effort into that. I don't know anything about gameplay, so right. we'll see We'll see how it shapes up because I think it's something that could, could, you know, carve out its own little niche. What about you, Oliver? I know very little to nothing other than what I've just been <laughs> scanning, so I'm sort of clearly falling down on my duty. He just learned, uh, as you as said it. Yes, wow. Yeah, it's fine. I, fine. I feel like I have been left hanging. I, Thanks, you guys. Ha- you have. You have. I'm, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, well, as long as, long as I, you guys made it there, it's okay then, I suppose. Yeah, it's okay. You, <laughs> you can just leave me hanging going. a little bit later on this. So. Oh, yeah. When you bring up your topic, I'll be like, yeah, I have something to say, and I'll just be quiet for like five yeah, minutes. Yeah, no, it'll be good. Yeah, I can't wait. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right, as long as you're ready. You know what I'm ready for? I'm ready for more Stellaris news, which came in the mm. form of a dev diary. Dev diary 155, which is insane to me. That's a lot of dev diaries. But pretty nuts. Yeah, they are talking about an upcoming feature called Origins, which is basically like backgrounds for your civilizations that are going to uh, kind of shape the way that they like came to be. And with that, I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of like asymmetric gameplay to it because there's 16 of them now. They say they're going to add some more, but it sounds like what they're trying to do with those Origins is I think something that's lacking in Stellaris is which is an avenue for asymmetric gameplay that doesn't exist right now. So I'm excited for it. It sounds like they didn't really have much to say about it other than there are 16 of them. They gave a little preview of a few called uh, Remnants and Scions and Life Seated. But they said there's going to be more coming at PDXCon, which is just a few weeks away. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot at PDXCon about not only Solaris, but their other big grand strategy game. Other big stra- grand strategy game. What do you? Which one? The one they're going to announce at PDXCon. Oh, I see. Victoria 3 confirmed. Yeah, they've already said very clearly is. that it's not Victoria 3. So they're just well, then obviously they are lying because it's going to be Victoria 3. No, I've, I've, I've gone on record before to tell you that I have it from very good sources that it's a fantasy grand strategy game. So if Victoria 3 set in fantasy <laughs> times. That would be cool, actually. That, exactly. That would, that would actually be really cool if they did, like, the same gameplay of Victoria 3, only they, like, threw in elves and dwarves and stuff. That'd be cool. Well, it doesn't have to be that kind of fantasy. It could be, like, a quasi-religious fantasy with demons and angels battling it out with the freaks and, you know, Chinese dragons. Mm. That I would mm. play that. It's like Diesel Punk meets Cthulhu or something. Yeah, that'd be right? awesome. Like, totally. who, doesn't, who doesn't want that? Sounds like an anime I want to watch. As soon as we're done, I'm going to go look for it on Netflix. 
Yeah, there you well, go. Yeah, it's probably been made. You know it's been made. I know it has. I, I have that anime. Actually, I think I have it on Crunchyroll. But anyways, yeah. Go ahead. Well, Sorry yeah, anyways, now anything I say from this point forward is going to be way less cool than what you just said. So uh, <laughs> uh, next step in our news item agenda is that uh, Astro Exodus had a first ever dev diary. And Astro Exodus is a very small team. I think it might just be one guy. Uh, he calls himself Atomic Kaiser, which I think is pretty funny and also probably somewhat offensive. Um, but it's still pretty awesome. He's doing this Astro Exodus game. Both Oliver and I are playing it a bit, and we hopefully, by the time you hear this, have a gameplay video up because it should be out on Wednesday. But with that being said, it has its new little dev diary. It's talking about the story of the game. I don't want to give too much away, so you can read. I mean, there's not much to say about it because they're not really, you know, delving in too much, but. He's just acknowledging that there is a story to this whole universe and that you can uncover it through the campaign, which Astro Exodus does have. And yeah, so it'll be a game that I think we're going to be highlighting quite a bit because it's got a quarter one 2020 date, so a release date, and I think that's going to be the next 4X game that comes out. So we'll be watching it very closely and hopefully we'll have more videos because I think the Wednesday video is pretty short. But it gives a good little overview of what you can expect from Astro Exodus, and hopefully I can do like a short Let's Play or something. But Yeah, it's got some intriguing things. I had a chance to boot it up for a little bit the other week and uh, dabble around in there, so I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how this one shapes up, too. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's definitely got a Master Brian 2 feel to it, but the real-time combat seems strategic enough that, or tactical enough, I don't know what word you want to use, but either way, it, it feels fun enough to make the game better, so... It'll be something we need to watch. But speaking of watch, Nate, do you know that Dominus Galaxy is going to start a Kickstarter soon? Okay, cool. Well, you should have known if you didn't know. Oh, I know. Remember, I told you I was going to be quiet. <laughs> oh, you didn't know when, when it was going to let it just drop. Oh, no, yeah. man. That, there's no fun in that. If I tell you ahead of time, you're going to be like, See, I, I, was, I was thinking I had to. Yes, no. I, I, I knew, was, I knew. I was, I was concerned I'd have to edit that dropout, but now I'm not no, going no, to. No, no, there's that no wasn't, Duda, that was intentional. Now I know it's intentional. So anyways, Dominus Galaxia, who I, um, the lead developer I had a chance to interview this past week through a podcast. You could guys probably hopefully listen to that. And then well, we it's on the website. So if they haven't, we'll have a link for it and make sure, make sure you listen to it. It's pretty interesting. Well, it was also in our podcast feed too, so hopefully you saw it through one of those. And if not, go listen to it. It's pretty cool. He's got a lot to say about 4X games. I also did a quick little, actually not quick because it was an hour long, uh, Let's Explore video of Dominus Galaxia in its current form, which is actually very evolved, very deep, more deep than you'd think because it's super beta, but it's also going to be released with this Kickstarter as a like, hey, look what I'm doing. Sort of like a, a I don't know, almost like a net to like reel you in with. So... The idea is that he's going to be kicking this Kickstarter off. <laughs> Didn't mean to say that, but I did anyways. Kicking this Kickstarter off soon. It should be either this Sunday or the next Sunday. And he's hopefully going to get the money he needs to finish this game because I think there's a lot to it. And there's certainly a lot of potential. I hate using that word. I really do because everybody uses the word potential. But it, the, the thing I wrote in my The Less Explored article was that, you know, I say potential a lot, but... This game has the kind of potential that really honestly should matter because a lot of it's already realized and, you know, that makes you kind of feel a little bit more confident that it's going to fulfill whatever it's trying to do. So, yeah, check it out. It's going to have its Kickstarter soon and there's a bunch of videos and stuff. We did a lot of coverage this past week, so watch it and consume it and tell me you love it or I will cry. 
<laughs> hey, Oliver, I, I got yeah. a question for you. I'm ready. I'm ready. What is Project Haven? Mm. So as the uh, guest of honor here tonight, I get the joy of introducing a game that I have just become familiar with <laughs> uh, as of a couple of minutes ago. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the, uh, the very boring thing here of reading out their very small blurb for Project Haven. So it says, Project Haven is a turn-based tactical RPG with a gritty story for a mature audience, whatever that means. You command the Steel Dragons, a mercenary outfit fighting for survival in the harsh urban near future that is Haven City. So uh, with that in mind, um, this looks to be a XCOM-ish kind of affair, sort of managing a squad um, in a turn-based tactical kind of thing in some dark city. And so um, uh, it looks quite interesting, not um, out yet. It says the release date is still to be announced. Yeah, it could be an interesting thing to keep an eye on if you're interested in that kind of XCOM-like uh, gameplay. Looks I like am. they are. Yeah, I, I'm sure you are, Nate. So uh, I know it, graphics look pretty awesome just clicking through the pictures um, on the Steam page. So there is a full Steam page that's up for that. Looks pretty good. They do mention a co-op and skirmish mode, which is kind of interesting as an idea fighting either against friends or the AI, either alone or in a co-op mode. So I haven't seen, I don't know, XCOM doesn't do any kind of multiplayer, does it? Of course it does. It does? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, XCOM is multiplayer. XCOM has one versus one. And then XCOM has um, this mode where basically you are trying to do a mission and you're doing it for points, essentially. And the more objectives you meet, the less damage you take, the faster you do it, the fewer missed shots. You're trying to gain like a high score, and then you're checking it against everybody else. Interesting. The the last thing I heard is that, and this was a while back, is a bunch of people figure out how to hack it. So people were like completing these daily challenges with like perfect scores and like no time at all and completely invalidating the whole trying to score against others. There's so many people cheating, so I don't know what happened after that. But I mean, I don't multiplay on XCOM, so and I haven't played it in a while, anyways, okay. which well, probably means I should be. Well, maybe, maybe instead of XCOM, you can play Project Haven next. Absolutely. So, anyway, and uh, yeah, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, a- no, myself, I think he's asking me, and that's a big negative. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but the game looks cool, so that's a positive. So we'll end on that note. All right, so uh, I'm going to switch uh, switch gears over. So they, they dragged me onto the show today and said, you are responsible for some sort of topic. So uh, with that in mind, uh, one of the topics that we wanted to do was sort of a, a rewind to look back at something and then think about what that means going forward. So you're, you're very intrigued. You're on the edge of your seat. So here's what I have. Uh, last year, I wrote an article called Crossing the Rubicon, Defining the 4X-like Genre. And so in that, uh, that was an article that looked at six different um, kind of dimensions that would help define a 4X game. Like you're building an empire, you're exploring the unknown, you're starting small and growing big, you're developing your empire kind of internally through technology and resource management. There's this idea of, you know, strategic warfare and kind of, you know, the whole exterminate angle. And then lastly, that these games have kind of a competitive structure to them that you're sort of all racing to dominate 
your opponents in one way or another, whether that's conquering them or beating them in the technology arms race, whatever the case is. So the article had gone through and kind of laid out, you know, a definition of 4X games. Um, But I think one of the more so than defining kind of traditional 4X games, the thing that I thought was interesting about the piece is that it started to open up a conversation around 4X-like games or kind of a 4X, uh, like a family of 4X games that share many of the same characteristics, but maybe do some things a little bit differently. And so the article had gone through and talked about, you know, what's a traditional 4X game, but what's, you know, a 4X RTS hybrid game? Or, you know, what is a 4X light game? Uh, For instance, you know, a lot of, um, uh, like Age of Wonders series in the past has been called, say, a 4X light, um, because it was pretty light on the empire management side of things, but it made up for that with a really deep, in-depth tactical combat system and a lot of emphasis on kind of the strategic level war making. Um, So it was kind of a different flavor of 4X game, but it had enough of those elements to sort of be be in the family, so to speak. So a couple uh, interesting things I just wanted to point out as as a means of follow-up on that. Uh, The article did have a survey, and we can provide some of the survey results maybe in the show notes for this show. And one of the things that was interesting is the survey had about 30 or 40 different games in it and asked people to pick a game and then rate how well they thought it met each of the criteria. And then based on that, say, you know, if a game met four criteria or three and a half criteria or all six, do people think that it was a 4X game or belonged in the 4X family or not? So for for example, uh, there were a couple Total War series games. Um, Most kind of the average when you looked at all the people that voted on those games they said 4x or that excuse me total war got maybe four out of the six criteria and about 25 percent of the people said that was enough for that to be in the kind of 4x like family of games so that's kind of interesting uh say north guard um which is kind of more of an rts game got about three of the criteria but only 13 percent of people said yeah this feels like a 4x uh, another interesting one was Sorcerer King's Rivals had uh, only four and a half points out of six in the criteria, but 80% of people said, yes, this belongs in the 4X genre. So I think there's some interesting nuances there that we can kind of dig into. Um, but with those kind of definitions and some of the, the ranges of different kinds of 4X games that we're starting to see, that kind of leads into the question for this next little segment, which was, you know, where do we see some of the 4X games that are on the horizon maybe taking the genre away from some of the traditional kind of formats of 4X games, peeling back on some elements, but maybe pushing forward with some other, into some other interesting directions that have only been lightly touched on before. Um, So, for example, I know something that, you know, we've all been talking about is uh, maybe some grand strategy games that are starting to... um, pull back a little bit on some of the 4X elements, but really dig into more of the geopolitical kinds of layers. So uh, we've been highlighting Star Dynasties and Alliance of the Sacred Suns recently as two examples of that, where it's kind of taking 4X ideas, but sort of twisting them in a different direction. And I know, Rob, you, uh, you've had a chance to dabble around with both of those, and we've done some interviews and QAs with the developers. Um, do you see that? 
as kind of one of those trends of where kind of 4X games might be going or might be doing something a little different? I do. I think that basically this is a mechanic or a structure of 4X games that I personally really appreciate is that mm-hmm. I like a grander, more hands-off approach to them. So I do think that when you start to look at Star Dynasties and Alliance of the Sacred Sons, that they're trying to pull back a little bit of the micromanagement. And for me, I'm really into that. I, I like that idea. So there, there is definitely micromanagement of certain things, but of your actual empire and the way it operates and goes about its day is is more hands-off than traditional 4X games. You know, especially something like Master of Ryan 2, where you're you're going from colony to colony and you're building, you know, you're, you're basically queuing up buildings and stuff like that. That's always been a, a bane of, of mine. Like I just, I don't, for the Forex genre, it's just been something I've always genuinely disliked. So I see, I do see more hands off or more like bigger eye in the sky mm-hmm. looks at Forex being something that, that would work well. You know, you were talking about these six different qualities. And I think that the reason why you would have a game like say Total War only be considered 4x by 25% of the people that responded versus a game like Sorcerer King that was 80%, you said? Yeah. Um, I think that's because, and there's a few things that we're looking for, right? I think most people, when they say 4x games, the four things that I know this sounds so ridiculous to... Lay it out there. Lay it out. Go for it. (laughs) No, but I think that it's... Your your six qualities are fantastic. I really do agree with the six qualities that, that make a 4x game. I think if you hit every one of those not a single person would look at that game and say, no, that's not a 4X game. You'd have 100% of people saying, oh yeah, you know, Civilization VI is a, is a 4X game. Endless Space yep. 2 is a 4X game. Yep. Um, when you start to get into games that change up the, the formula a bit, I think when you, when you take away certain mm-hmm. qualities, that's where people start to be like, oh, no, 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 it's no longer 4X. And I think yeah. one of the major ones for that is exploration. And I think that's why what people would play Total War and say, no, this isn't a 4X game because you already know the map. You already see the map from the yeah. very get-go. And I do think that's a major thing. Like that's one of the, You could take away Exterminate, I think, actually, in some ways. You could actually figure out a yeah, way yeah. to make a 4X game not involve Exterminate or at least not involve hands-on Extermination and people would still consider it 4X. But when you take away the, the quality of, of exploration and uncovering you know, the map yeah. or whatever, that's where I start to think that so I think when you look at those six qualities, there are a few of them that just weigh heavier, right? Yeah, and- yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, we have the we can leverage the power of data here to actually uh, illuminate your exact point. So I'm looking at uh, the data table, which you guys can't see because because uh, <laughs> you're all up. knowing. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am the keeper of the data. Yes. There you go. Um, so so uh, to exactly to Rob's point here, Sorcerer King's rivals. There were five people that scored that game. Uh, 80% of those people, um, or, or the average score for how well Sorcerer King's rival did on criteria number one, exploration of unknown geography, was 0.8 out of one. So if every if all five of those people had said, yes, it hits all the boxes for exploration of unknown geography, it would have been a one. Um, it was at 0.8, which is pretty close to one. And we end up with, you know, 80% of the people saying, yes, this is like a 4X game. Uh, If you drop down to Rome Total War, for example, uh, exploration of unknown geography was only a 0.28 out of 1. And so, you know, 
right to that point, right? I mean, there is no exploration of geography, really, right? There's no randomization of it. It's a fixed map. Uh, there's not like randomly arranged goodie huts that you're collecting or uncovering as you go. And, you know, you look at the results and, you know, Rome total war was point like 20% of people said it was in the 4X family. So I think, I think that's definitely a case that some of these things probably weigh heavier on others. Um, but I mean, I'm curious, do you think, do you think there's things that you gain by maybe moving away from some of these elements and does that create an opportunity to pick up other things that maybe aren't part of the traditional 4x mix i mean you mentioned maybe pulling away from the extermination stuff what does that maybe open up in terms of play well i think then your focus becomes more on empire management right so if exterminate becomes less of a focus and maybe the game becomes more about like edging people out through economy or like i mean if you were to, to mix a combination of off-world trading company mixed with Forex. Yeah. So like you could have a Forex game that is more about edging your competitors out, like building up an empire and then becoming the economic powerhouse and pushing them out, you know, mm -hmm. not like, necessarily killing them or like taking them out with tanks, but like pushing them out of the market. Right. So, yeah. Or so something like that. So you figure out different ways or maybe, you know, extermination becomes an issue. Like you, you definitely have extermination on the board, but maybe you are very, like incredibly hands off with it, right? So you maybe just give general very broad orders like, you know, here we are, I am the emperor of said kingdom and I've decided that we are going to invade said other kingdom and I allow my generals to take care of that. You know, I know that would require an AI that's probably not quite there yet, but, you know, if you are maybe putting in the right people, maybe it's a very character-driven game and you are putting the right people in as generals and as their colonels and all that stuff and you let them do their thing based on their traits and it becomes much more hands-off. It's more, I'm looking at things from way up above and I'm delegating a lot of those responsibilities to other people. Yeah, no, no, for sure. So um, maybe just to throw out kind of one more, one more question on this topic too. I mean, are there, you know, some of those other models of 4X-like games or 4X family of games, like some of the RTS 4X hybrid games. I know last week you all were chatting about Driftland and kind of, you know, that's in that sort of RTS kind of 4X hybrid vein a little bit. Um, I think there's some other games that are floating around out there um, that kind of get into some other some other formats. Um, anybody want to chime in with one of those and, you know, something that's out there that they're playing or that kind of fits maybe a little bit of a different mold and that's worth highlighting? Hmm. I mean, I think uh, Nate is the Thea expert, and I think... Yeah, no, but combat is... Not even combat, like, you know, battle, but the well, mechanic no. combat... Right, but what I'm, trying to what I'm trying to highlight is the fact that it takes away a, 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 a quote-unquote staple 4X mechanic, and then it doesn't expand, right? So you're forever yeah. st stuck to... Well, no, I'm not... I'm not Thea, I know Thea 2 changes that, right? But Thea 1... Right, right which was our game of the year a couple of years ago, it mm -hmm. it changed right. that, it flipped things around, and we all considered it a 4X. I, some of us considered yeah. it a 4X light, but others were considered, I mean, like, no doubt, like, when you guys came out with the, the game of the year and said that was it for 4X game of the year, yeah. very few people were like, oh, that's not a 4X game. So tell us why you think that it still fits, fits in that mold, even though it's taken away one of the, the staples of 4X but games. But it was a one-city challenge, essentially. So we have one-city challenge mechanics in every game. You have it 
well, you have it in Civ games, and since, you know, Civ being one of the two major games that were considered the 4X founders, you know, you have it in that, you have more recent iterations, you have Endless Legend, Endless Space, where you have, you know, a single system or single region that you control, and then you have to essentially extend your reach through other means. So in Thea, what it was is, it's not like your city was founded and that's it. You know, you had different starts and whatnot, and here's your village, and here's what you get. So, you know, play the game. And the other major difference is, is that typically in a 4X game, you're playing against other opponents, which are other civilizations or other factions or something like that. In the Thea games, you didn't have that. It was essentially you being player versus everyone. And there was a central and there was a central narrative. And then um, the game went in that way. It, you didn't have diplomacy other than what occurs as a result of your interactions with the various factions. And you would try to, so in Thea one, it's very much like a post magical apocalypse. And you have this world coming out of this, you know, time period, hundred years of just darkness and, you know, end of the world type of stuff. And all the factions are all over the board and, you know, you have individuals just roaming and you're building up your village trying to attract everybody. So that definitely wasn't the typical 4X, but still, it had a lot of the same 4X elements that other games do. And Thea 2 definitely grew from that. Yeah, so, you know, one, uh, just looking at the data, because we did ask about Thea 1, and this pretty interesting. So 100% on exploring unknown geography, 100% on kind of, you know, a thoughtful pace to the gameplay, uh, almost 100%, 96 on, like, technology advancement and the internal development stuff. So 50% on expansion through territory control. And, you know, you only have one city, but there's other ways kind of of getting your influence out. Only 35% of the people said yes to kind of management of a large-scale sovereign empire because you're really not kind of managing this smaller kind of clan or city-level thing. Yet, at the end of the day, 92% of the people said, yes, this is a 4, 4X game or belongs in the 4X-like family, which, you know, that's it's getting up. Almost, almost everybody that responded put it in the 4X bucket. So I think it's, you know, it's kind of interesting, again, maybe highlighting this idea that some of these elements are like, you know, you, you got to have this for it to be a 4X, and if they're missing, it's really, you know, people are going to maybe scrutinize it pretty heavily but maybe some of these other elements are a little bit more variable in terms of what you can get away with yeah and we've we've been moving away from that anyways right like every game now is like yeah well using that this game's a forex and that game's a forex so we're kind of having a hard time nailing down the specifics of what really is a forex isn't that kind of what exploraminate has been trying to do the whole time yep yep yeah rob you wanted to jump in on something though well, no, I was going to say that I'd be curious to know what people thought of at the gates on this. Like if we were to resend this, this survey out, maybe we should, but I would be curious. Yeah, totally. I, I would be curious to know what people thought about the gates because it's actually very similar in nature to Thea 1. I mean, clearly it's set in a historical period, which is different, but you have, you know, your one city or one camp or whatever. And of course you can move it around and stuff, which I think is a little bit more, you know, uh, it plays more to the like the expanding empire or expanding uh, 
territory thing because you can move it and subsequently build permanent buildings that you know move with your camp but it does fit the bill very it's it's just a very similar game to Thea one so i'd be curious to know if that would get a higher score or if it would be similar to that that Thea score which I, i'm actually pretty surprised it's that high to be honest yeah it stuck out to me definitely so it's interesting I want to add a disclaimer that neither Troy nor myself took the survey more than once. <laughs> so I just want to—I I want people because I know some people will be like, well, "I bet you Troy and Nate—they love Thea. They probably like took it thousands of There's times, borrowed people's box, devices. Yeah. I took it the one time and one time only, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty certain that Troy would do the same. Pretty certain. Well, look, he's not here to defend himself, and I'm not going to say he did or he didn't because, you know, as he has said before, he's a big boy and he can handle his own fights. You know, he doesn't need me fighting his battles for him. So when he hears the this program, he'll chime in, nope, I voted 400 times, haha, or nah, I just did the one time, you know. It, people, And it's true, a lot of people really love the first game. It caught a lot of people by surprise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I'm curious. I'd be curious to see the new results as well. But you know, yep. well, I think it'd be a good opportunity. This this podcast could probably be an impetus for that because I think that it would be interesting to see where we stand now with some more time and more people and more variations to the gameplay. Right. So you do have games yeah. that are coming out that like at the gates, and then you could say Planetfall may or may not be a forex game. There could be the argument that it's not. I wouldn't argue against that. Um, but I, I do think that it is a forex game. But before I digress too much, I have a point, and then I have a question. So, first, my my first point is that you know we haven't really talked too much about Stellar Monarch on this podcast or really at all. And having played it finally, sitting down and playing it, I'm surprised that more games aren't trying that formula because it's very similar to the formula that I was talking about. What I was saying with the the hands off approach, the it describes itself as being like, you know, it focuses on you being the emperor and you making decisions that are much more broad. And I personally have been having a lot of fun with it because I really do like that idea. You know, in Stellar Monarch, you're you're making the decision to colonize things, but you're not really, <laughs> you're not getting involved. Like you're not, other than that, you say, all right, our imperial directive is to go colonize this planet. And you don't worry about building the ships. You don't worry about how we're going to get there. You just that's it. That's how it's going to happen. And it happens on its own. So uh, depending on who you've got there, who who's in that mm-hmm. cabinet, it depends on what their qualities are and how good they are, at what they're doing. It, that determines how quickly you colonize that place. Yeah. You know? It's, it's basically a emperor simulator, right? It's like putting you in the shoes of the emperor from their kind of vantage point. And like, yeah, you don't have this like complete free reign to like drill into whatever, other planet on the other side of the universe that you want to dabble in their construction queue, right? It, you're sort of stuck from your perspective right. of playing the game out from there. Well, I think that's what people liked about Distant Worlds, right? So, like, yeah. if you go back to Distant Worlds and you remember that, you know, it had this entire private sector completely autonomous and completely separate from from you. Like, you had no control over it. So... And that makes sense. So like a game that like, and I think that that could be another direction that Forex go, like you could have you, you, you yourself as like the government have control. Like if we consider like the United States of America, what the United States of America's government controls and then what it doesn't. Right. So a lot of that like industry and stuff like that, that's private. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not, but I believe it's private for the most part. Um, 
that kind of stuff like would operate independently of what you did as the governor, as the, you know, the, the government entity. And I think that's what Distant Worlds did really well was that it didn't, it didn't bog you down with like how your colony was going to get better. You know, it was, it was more about, or even just how the trade was going to happen. Like you knew you had to build mining places there, but you couldn't force any of the, the, like the mining ships to go do it. You couldn't do that. That wasn't you. You would just encourage like private industry to go do that. And you would encourage like a, I don't know, like a pleasant atmosphere for, for private industry yep. to do what yeah. they had to do in order to make your, your empire grow. Yep. So, and, and, you know, that brings me to my next question. Um, Oliver, is it, what, what do you think? I mean, like you're, you, you've raised this question and you've asked us both now, what do you think, where do you see the possibilities for, for changing the Forex game and still being a Forex game, but maybe altering the recipe a little bit? Yeah. I mean, this is, I guess this is something that I've uh, mentioned a few times on the podcast or in writing, you know, I, I'd love to see, uh, you know, Forex games like that. The aspect of them that's most underdeveloped to me is kind of the end game and how these Forex games sort of culminate in pretty unexciting victory conditions. I know beating a dead horse with this, um, but that's an area where I think you could take, you know, four or five of these really core central mechanisms and sort of re uh you know reorient the whole game into some different kind of victory condition kinds of things and if those victory conditions can also be better connected to you know the narrative that's being told through the faction design or the story in the universe or the game world i mean that's really like that's really awesome um to do you know i do think you know i'll i'll Endless Legends is not a game that I'm super in love with, but one of the parts of it that I really love is the kind of uh, how the the, uh, the faction quests and the big faction quest sequences eventually culminate and lead into like a victory condition specifically for that faction. Like I think that's really cool, and I think as games maybe start to get more of this kind of grand strategy vibe injected into them that hopefully developers will start to think about like, all right, well, you know, for pulling away from this like domination as victory mode and de-emphasizing that and playing up other aspects of the game, can we make some more interesting victory conditions? And I know, you know, many of us have written about that in the past too. You know, Rob had written uh, an article way back when, when Exploraminate was getting going uh, the end game and its follies that sort of talked about these same issues. And there's a lot wrapped up in uh, how the end game of 4X games come together. And I think a lot of, you know, we've basically been kind of crutching ourselves by check, by staying so close to this 4X formula that I think if that's one area that we can let something go. It's on the old school victory conditions. And we can start to pick up something a little bit more interesting. So I know, uh, Rob, you wanted to jump in on something. Well, no, you just, you're, and I hate to make this the Distant Worlds podcast because it's starting to feel like one, but this is actually where I think Distant Worlds got yep. it right too. So where each of those factions had their own specific victory conditions. So if you picked the mercantile race, they would, you know, they would need to have like 70% control of the private industry. And they would also need to maybe uh, have in possession like 40% of the entire universe's uh, strategic resources, something like that. I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out, but that that was what I think was really good about Distant yeah. Worlds is that it did it did very closely specify what you needed to do if you played a certain race and that was playing to each of the races 
strengths, right? Yeah. So, um, and then I think that's what I'm hoping. Good God, I'm hoping that these origins come from from Stellaris. I really do yeah, hope that, that they be add a good opportunity. Right. So if you have like a, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I don't. I'm not going to. Let's just say you have a mechanical race, and like their their mm-hmm. origin story is, you know. Uh, that they broke, they broke from the shackles of a, you know, a, a biological overlord. Then maybe perhaps the victory condition is that you basically subjugate everybody and make them cyborgs. Like yeah. you know, that, that would be awesome. I think that kind yeah. of story, that kind of victory condition that would associate itself with some sort of origin story like that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know one long forgotten game that's been one of my favorites forever is Armada twenty five twenty six which is also very similar to distant worlds in terms of like each race gets victory points over the course of the game based on different things. So like, you know, there's some aggressive race that like basically gets points just for fighting. So it doesn't even matter who you fight or if you eliminate them, if you fly around and just fight guys, you get points. Like there's a happy like tree hugger race that gets points, some multiplier of like the total number of their population times your average happiness. So like if you get into wars, your guys actually get upset because they also don't like war and they get more unhappy and you actually lose points. So like it forces these really interesting play styles as you kind of jump into um, try to get to these different goals that are very unique to each of the races. So uh, Nate, you had an example too, though. I did. Um, Man, that was so long ago though. It feels like it's been minutes since I thought of it. It has been. It'll (laughs) It'll come to you. Endless legend. But you will agree. No, hold on. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. It'll come back. Okay, we're getting closer. <laughs> yeah, we'll just start throwing out keywords and hopefully it'll jog his memory. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So in all seriousness, you have you have an issue here. And I think the real issue of well, basically it's the it's a constraint of most games, especially Forex games, is the AI. And that the more complex the system becomes, the worse it does. So either you box it in and give it very specific subroutines as in if a then b if a and b then c and just rinse and repeat then you know how much fun is the game if it's that predictable right i mean sure okay you took out combat okay now you moved it into grand strategy territory you are the emperor and then what you know if the ai cannot handle all of these decisions but also you don't want an ai that's perfectly optimized and the smartest thing in the room because it'll crush you every time because then nobody's going to want to play the game. We have examples of that with like Pandora, you know? So here's uh, an AI that was hard to start with. And I'm talking Pandora First Contact. I'm talking Pandora Wrath of the Nishira. Here's an AI that was hard to start with. Then a community member jumped in and turned this AI to 42. Normally we say 11, right? And yeah how does that go so that i think that's another thing that people kind of overlook is that you want to win but you want to feel like the ai put up a fight but then you have the min maxers that don't care they just want to you know do the best they can so you know that's the problem that a lot of developers have be it 4x or any other game you know yeah yeah and i think you know one of the things this idea of sort of shaking up kind of the victory conditions and kind of having a very different play style for each of the races or factions or whatever there is, I think that could actually be a way of kind of skirting around some of the AI problems too, though, because, you know, if everybody's going for something different, it's not as important that, 
you know, the AI is, you know, exactly on the same footing as the player is. And, you know, most players can run circles around the AI at like a strategic kind of warfare level. Um, and it's really easy to cheese them out. But if the goal of the game isn't to just totally exterminate your opponent, it's something else. And they're pursuing some different victory condition. Um, and it seems like there could be more wiggle room for more asymmetry in terms of what everybody's pursuing. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like what in a lot of the scenarios in like the Paradox Grand Strategy games do, right? I mean, you're starting, nobody's complaining that if you start as a tiny country in EU4, that it's, you know, unfair or bad that like there's another country that's, you know, starts off five times bigger than you are, right? But your goal and your mission is very different and specific to kind of your starting condition, kind of going back to Rob's point. So, yeah, Rob? Well, I think that's a great point because I think, first of all, the asymmetric starts of something like your Europe Universalis 4 would start to put things on a different playing playing field. And I, uh, what you said before, too, if they have different goals. So if I'm playing the economic race and my goal is to, you know, just generate income and to become this, like, you know, freaking monopoly. I'm like, you know, I want my industry everywhere. But let's say the lizard people of, you know, Grognar are super militaristic and i've been focusing so much on my my ability to you know generate money and stuff like that that the grognar lizard people come by with their huge ships that they've been focusing on then it's difficult right it it would be very difficult for me to switch gears i mean i would hope that you could make a game where it would be difficult for me to switch gears and so the ai is playing an entirely different game they have a different focus they and they're 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 attempting to win by different means so if you have that then you would, I think you, you're, you're onto something. You really would eliminate a lot of that AI issue. Like you just, you need to get them to play a different game and you need to have them focus on it in ways that are smart. But also, you know, like you said, if you, if you figure out ways to cheese the, the AI, it's never going to be fun. There's people out there that are always going to be able to min-max everything and win every game every time. But if you set up the playing field differently and give each race or faction an advantage in a certain playing field and then have them all, you know, trying to achieve that goal, which may end up interacting with your attempts to achieve your goal, but not in the way that you're trying to achieve your goal, then I think that you you really do even out the playing field. Well, I was going to make one comment, now I'm going to make two comments. Three comments, <laughs> and they will all be short. First comment is that we keep talking about Europa Universalis and win conditions. Unless something's changed and I m- missed it, isn't don't you really not ever win the game? Your game kind of ends when you hit a certain time period, but well, you don't have- yeah, absolutely. That is my least favorite thing about not only Stellaris, okay, but Europe Universalis. Because I and I'm not saying that there aren't people that enjoy that, or Crusader Kings, too, right? Well, and there's people that enjoy that, and I all I'm all for that, so have the option. But for someone like me, I need conditions, I need victory conditions, I need to be able to say I won the damn game and move on. Okay. Whereas like a game like Stellaris, I feel like never ends. <laughs> so it's unless you lose and then, <laughs> then yeah. it definitely ends. Unless unless you win your freedom back and then it begins again as a different game. All right. <laughs> right. S- second comment. There is a game that kind of has that already and nobody talks about it. Well, we talked about it quite a bit. We liked it. Star Ruler 2 did that. In a sense, you know, you remember how many different, like there were so many different ways to play the game. 
And, and, you know, you had that whole element that had, like, the most amazing diplomacy ever and how that worked. And, you know, uh, who knows? I'm no, I'm no expert, but uh, to this day, I've never won a Star Wars 2 game. And that's because it the AI does play very well, but they are playing very different games. So that's a freaking great example. And I do think that so, some of them are way more tuned to the, the diplomatic card game. And sometimes, like, and that can change things dramatically. You can be playing very well and then you know the ai gets the the next card that happens to do something that just dramatically changes everything and mm -hmm. you're like damn it i should have been watching the cards but i wasn't because i was more worried about like building out my infrastructure right and the next thing you know they've played this card and you've lost like half your you know half right. your s and, systems and you had like the system support method that was very unique where it's probably a lot more realistic economic model for how it would function if we expand in space. Anyways, well, that was it. And I have one more game to mention, and that is Settlers of Catan. Now, that is definitely not a 4X game, and it's a board game. Mm -hmm. And there's... Be. Right? And there's a good element. You know, I have I've have the iPad game. My kid plays it. I play it, you know, on traveling and whatnot. And that's definitely a game where you have so many different ways to win. And you're not you're playing against other people, or you're playing against you know AI in a other you know um, handheld format. But you have so many. You're doing so many different things to try and you know, or, or even Armello or something like that. But anyways, we're kind of getting off topic. Awesome. Yeah. Good points, Nate. So I think you know with that, I think this will obviously be an ongoing conversation and i think you know we'll be keeping a close eye on kind of you know what new games are coming out and kind of where they're fitting into the picture of 4x games and which ones are trying to push the edge and do something a little bit different um so anyway thank you for the conversation everybody that was i think this was a good discussion so with that we are on to the games that we have been playing so who's on home plate here to <laughs> first Okay, I guess I'll take it. So I've been playing Fort Triumph, which I'm still really enjoying. I think that's a game that definitely needs to be on people's radar. Um, I think the combination of like Heroes of Might and Magic mixed with XCOM is just bloody, just bloody smart. It's freaking amazing. I love it. Um, and I have a couple more videos that'll be coming out for that. And then clearly, I did some of the Domus Galaxia stuff, and you guys saw my my foibles over there. Um, and then I'm also trying this game out called Trials of Fire, which is going to be this week's The Less Explored game. And I know, Oliver, you've been playing that, right? Or you played it in the yeah. past? Yeah, I played it right when it came into early access. I, I really like it. I think it's doing some cool stuff. So. Absolutely, yeah. The, it's a, like a narratively driven, uh, I hate using the term roguelike, but I'm going to roguelike tactical turn-based RPG where uh, you basically combat is completely card-based, but it's it's a fun combat it's mm -hmm. not like it's not like a I, I get bogged down in card combat sometimes and i think this one's just fast and it's ele you know elegant in a lot of ways so i'm having a lot of fun with that one for any and then the, I, uh, oh just a quick thought on that for any of the board gamers out there that might be listening the card combat is like a deck building thing so like your heroes like their equipment and their gear and their skills you get this like unique little deck that's attached to each of your characters which is kind of a cool system yeah, what I love about it is that you end up picking up items and stuff, and then those items, based on their rarity level, give you, um, you know, different types of cards. And, you know, you might pick up, like, a really rare sword, and that'll give you, like, a really badass card. And I, I think that that system is just really smart, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that progresses. 
And then I've been playing Astra Exodus as well, which I've been enjoying. And then Stellar Monarch, I finally jumped in because of the, the Age of Technology expansion pack. And I have to say, I'm just, I don't know why we haven't been talking about this game often. Maybe because nobody gave it a try. And I know that it's not the prettiest game ever, but it's doing a lot of smart things too. I, I, I know we've delved into it a little bit today and talked about how I really like the, the Emperor role. But I think Stellar Monarch, with with maybe just a little bit more polish, could have been something that people talked about. A lot of people talked about. But of course, I think the presentation probably put off a little bit of a few people. I know people like Nate probably never even touched it because of the presentation. Um, and I, I do think the other issue too is that there's a, a localization issue where a lot of the there's a lot of text in that game, and unfortunately, there's a lot of that text that doesn't grammatically make sense. So the localization could have been better, but. I, the, the ideas though the game is is fantastic and i'm really enjoying it and i'm really excited about the age of technology expansion back now too so what about you nate what have you been playing nothing i wow. have been playing nothing but you've been playing the game of life i have been playing go. the i've been living the game of life i don't need to winning play it. too i think by most metrics but <laughs> yes, for maybe I, sleep <laughs> no i'm sleep's okay sleep's okay, okay. Right, free good. time good. i've been losing in the game of free time Mm. yeah and hobbies and and <laughs> please remember that he didn't start this podcast by saying he was tired so he That's must true. have gotten some sleep been quite lively right well i'll tell you this i i do have something to report my son has been playing two interesting games on my ipad planar conquest and starbase orion yes yes so. starbase orion <laughs> look at that yeah All we, right. were, we got him <laughs> no, he he's been playing Civ Six, Civ Civ Revolution Two. He he likes a lot of the games in my iPad. So I saw him. We're on a flight, and I was watching what he was doing. And he's playing Starburst Orion. He's like, looks at me. He's like, Dad, check this out. This is really cool. Why don't you tell me you have this? I'm like, Yeah, please play. Well, how do I do this? I'm like, Nope, not telling you. He's like, Come on, Dad, you've played this. Can you please tell me? I'm like, Nope, not telling you. Figure it out. Inside, I'm like, mm, I've never played it. <laughs> so I couldn't tell him even if I wanted to. But it was cool watching him enjoy it. Nice, nice. Uh, just a couple quick things I've been playing. Uh, I'm working on a excursion piece for Children of Morta, which finished and beat and it's awesome uh and you should be hearing about that soon uh racked up a few more dozen hours in burn tide 2 which i've been still uh shamelessly addicted to been playing some planet fall over the last week or two as well uh, a couple of board games have been woven in um and then i did find myself watching a stream of crying sons for about an hour the other night game looks super cool so hopefully i want to get a chance to be able to check that out um so with that uh rob do you want you have something else you want to add on to the end here yeah so in conclusion to this long podcast i think it was great i do i want to echo all of our sentiment that this was a great conversation i think we should do this more often so hopefully we can get you on at least once a month and just wax poetic about things and and, and do what we did. Yep. Yeah, it was great. So, but I do want to say that there's a lot of things, a lot of things coming to the website soon. So please keep an eye out for it because I'm working really hard in the background to get this stuff done. Um, first, I've got a podcast interview with Steve Hawkins from a Alliance of the Sacred Sons. That'll be coming up next week. We also have oh, how much so much stuff and stuff. Um, a podcast with Abby Games about Godhood. That might be a game that some people are interested in. And then there's 
much more coming. So please keep an eye out for the website. Uh, there's just a lot of cool stuff that I've set up. I've got Q and A's going out to a lot of people. I've also gotten keys from games that people are asking me to get some, some time with. So including crying sons, I got crying sons for Oliver. So we're gonna have to send it to them. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that we're working on a lot of stuff that uh, is in the works currently. And then of course we have some expositions going up. Troy's got one by the time you are listening to this, it'll be up on the website. And then I'm trying to get Oliver to do another mechanical wonder article. So it's coming. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. So please stay tuned to the website and let us know in the comments down below or on the discord, or like I said, smoke signal or pigeon, just let me know how we're doing and what you want to see with that. Nate, did you have anything left to say, sir? Just the usual, a huge thank you to our supporters on Patreon, to our community members on Steam and Discord, to the ones who listen to our podcasts, comment, you know, everybody just really, thank you so much. We really appreciate all of you. And uh, Oliver, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Glad to be here. It's a fun time. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Oliver, for joining this week. And we'll definitely have to snag you for more episodes in the future. And until then, it was Oliver, Robin, Nate for Explominate, and we'll talk to you guys next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.